Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. And Cooper puts it in wide. Close by Bishop. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time. Knowing that really, all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Good evening and welcome to, well it's not quite a debrief, what we're going to call this Martin, a sort of post-mortem, because that's the season pretty much dead, isn't it, after today's Scottish Cup defeat to Motherwell. Now, needless to say, there are better teams than us still left in the Scottish Cup competition and it would have been a tough one to win, it's proved very difficult for better Aberdeen teams than this over the last 31 years, but... um, You've got to give yourself a chance, don't you? And you've got to do that. You've got to be able to go and win at teams like Motherwell. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, you, you look at teams like Motherwell who seem to have players that can give us trouble. They're not a fantastic team. They're an average SPFL side, I suppose you would say. But unfortunately, so are we. Yeah, and that's exactly where we are right now. We're right in the pack. I saw somebody earlier tonight try and make it a positive that we're only four points off fourth. I think that's just indicative of how tight and how compact and how much that we and Hibs are right in the pack, right in amongst the other teams. Hearts, a very, very limited side, are miles clear in third place. It, uh, and, you know, you look at the points totals, the points totals that we used to accumulate if we were finishing up the right end of a table, generally much higher than what we're going to end up with uh, now. I mean, today, again, a big game. You think, get off to a good start. That would have been in your dream scenario to be a go-up after three minutes. McCrory was played right back, as I think after the second half on Wednesday, we kind of assumed it would have to be the case, to be honest. And he puts in a brilliant ball, and Ramirez did what Ramirez has done for most of the season, knocking it in for 1-0. I suppose there's then a chance for 2-0. He's close with it. I wouldn't necessarily have pushing too much blame to him. But... You know, sometimes you can score too early in games. Is that the case today? Tell that to John Hewitt. <laughs> you know, um, I don't think you can ever. No, I don't think you can ever score too early. It's a case, but it's a case of being well organised and sticking to your sticking to your task. And unlike the last few games where we haven't came alive until perhaps the second half, the second period of the game, today we start, started off really, really, really brightly. I mean, okay, it was it was horrific conditions and all that kind of stuff. You know, I've seen. Even Graham Alexander can I make an ex- make excuses for that. I don't know if he's trying to trying to perhaps maybe compensate for the fact that we were slightly better at the, at the beginning of the game. As you exactly say, Ramirez doing what he does. Where would we be without this guy? A, a, a real f- find, a really good finisher. Yeah, he, he missed a couple of other chances as well. He seems to be able to take these take these kind of chances. No, they're not clear cut. They're maybe just half chances here and there, and he's done really well for us, as you pointed out in previous episodes as well. You know, I think it's fifteen goals now, no penalties. 
I'm delighted we've managed to get him, but I'm just devastated that it's in such a poor team. Yeah, he scores today. There were other chances. There were, there were two in the second half. There's the one right to death, and there's the one which uh, comes to him after corner, which I think really mm-hmm. exposes his limitations as a footballer in some ways, because that was begging to be hit with his left foot, but he was determined to take it with his right and, and dragged it wide as a result. And, and I think we know he's limited, and we've spoken about how limited he is out with the box and trying to be the link man. Unfortunately, the setup that we've been playing really does require him to try and be that link man if we're going to get up the pitch. So, you know, he's definitely not a part of the problem, but in trying to ask him to do more than he actually can, it becomes a problem. To have the initiative wrestled away with us in such a big game for our season and for Motherwell's season, to have it taken away from us before half time. It, it, it's scandalous. It's scandalous how easily we allowed that to happen. Yes, you could claim a little bit of bad luck for their equalisers. It takes a massive nick off uh, Declan Gallagher. But again, we had plenty of time beforehand to be on top of that situation defensively, not least Adam Montgomery's very rushed and very poor clearance, which, which saw us turn over possession 25 yards away from our own box. It's just, again, mis- basic mistakes hurting us time after time. It's about reacting to these things. I mean, we find ourselves out on the left-hand side. It looks like the play is going to be stopped. It doesn't. Hayes as well probably could have done better as well. I'm not sure. I think he got caught himself, caught under his own feet, really. Just doesn't close down. And yet, there's a massive deflection. I understand that. But conceded goals like this already this season, the best way to stop conceding horribly bad deflected goals is to close the man down and, and, and not let him get these shots off. And I think that, as much as you could, you know, we will make excuses and say, well, you know, what could a keeper have done, all this kind of stuff. Just close him down. Get to him. Don't let him take this off. Take this. So I think the the bad luck of the deflection is cancelled out by some pretty poor play. The other element of luck that we're going to hear about is the uh, the injury situation and I, I suppose the illness situation with Joe Lewis as well. Again, without wishing to speculate too much, everything points to a COVID diagnosis, which you can claim is unlucky, but it's also kind of inevitable that the team was going to lose people this season due to that. And it's just a difference. When Joe Lewis goes through a bad patch, you kind of know that it is just that. You know that there's a good quality SPFL keeper there. Can you really say that about his replacement? And again, as I kind of pointed out earlier in the season when he had that spell on the team, he was someone that we brought in initially as a as a backup option at last minute on deadline day because uh, Thomas Cherney got injured again. And it was a six-month loan deal, basically. But then to give that guy, the backup guy, a two-year contract a couple of months before last season ended, I thought was pretty lazy. It's like they just wanted that box ticked, that backup goalkeeper box ticked. Now, I know it's not particularly easy to to shop in the second choice goalkeeper market because a lot of people won't want to come up here knowing that they're basically going to be second choice but it's been a hallmark basically of the recruitment it's it's been it's been second rate it's not been good enough it's maybe either been with um, one eye in the future or one eye in what was the the cheap option and on this i wouldn't necessarily even blame stephen glass on this one i suspect the decisions about the goalkeepers are probably made by at least informed by the goalkeeper coaches so so you know this one's maybe on gordon marshall are we just unlucky with the situation with regards to joe for these kind of big games or have we been 
burned by not shopping a little bit deeper for a better second choice. Well, I think you make an interesting point there. I mean, we're, we obviously have been have been burnt a little bit, but as you say, quality keepers that are going to come and sit and be second choice are, are few and far between. Thomas Cherney is was a was a very very good you know SPFL level keeper, and to have him as a backup, you know, and I know he was coming towards the end of his career, but to have him as a backup was you know was a was a real blessing in disguise, I suppose, because I don't think. Um, you're going to you would find you know, much better who'd be willing to come and I guess I guess support the the main keeper. Looking at it in terms of, you mentioned about the recruitment there, I think they they probably looked at it and went, you know, but Joe Lewis is is a top quality you know keeper for the, the this type of this type of league. Um, he is a very he's a very good keeper, but he has has had bad spells definitely for him to suffer what I think would call a bit of loss of confidence, loss of form earlier in the season. Or towards the end of the last season, even if you exclude, you conclude the final game when he chucked that one in it. Ibrox Woods particularly, no, I don't. The games he played played previously, he didn't impress. You give this guy a two-year deal, I think it's I think it's a bit careless to be totally honest. Well, I can I can understand at the time them wanting to kind of make quick recruitment decisions yeah. because. Frankly, they were they were under resourced on the recruitment front. Um, if we assume that Russ Richardson was basically let go at the same time as Derek McInnes, which may or may not have happened, but the recruitment was heavily based around the contacts that Glass, Russell, and Scott Brown had because we didn't have that director of recruitment in place. Now, I think people assume because we have a director of football with that title that he's in charge of that. It doesn't necessarily work like that. Certainly, early in the season, Stephen Glass was saying he was in charge of recruitment decisions. And based on the players that came in, I, I would think that that would be the case, um, given their links to him, such as signings from the MOS or signings from Newcastle. It, it certainly wouldn't surprise me. The bottom line is we, we don't know what the structure is. You can't assume that because some clubs have a director of football who has absolute authority on signings that we do here. He has a director of football role because he will be reporting into the board on football matters. Beyond that, we really don't know. I very much suspect now that we have subsequently recruited a director of football that he will be responsible for identifying the talent. And as before, basically Stephen Gunn and the finance department will be responsible for trying to get over the line. So definitely some criticism for the failures to do that and a number of players yeah. in the last window. But the bottom line is that we don't definitively know the structure in place. Just to sort of lazily say that because this guy's a director of football, the blame for all the operational football decisions should lie at his feet is a little bit suspect at this point. But on the Gary Woods front specifically, <laughs> this is a long-winded way of saying that was fucking terrible today. It was. Uh, I mean... Just to make a further point of what was saying there is, I mean, I think the reason the Woods was Woods was probably offered the contract is that Glasses came in along with Sol Henry Apollo, dare I say Scott Brownies looked at that and they've seen what is what looked to be on the on the face value of a very settled goalkeeping unit. Again, this is just a, this is just a guess, but you've got obviously Gordon Marshall with them, you've got Joe, and you've got Woods. I think it would be fair to assume that the manager has looked at that. And thought that was a kind of that was a position or a, a kind of unit that really is quite solid and takes care of itself. 
we're finding out now that obviously Woods isn't a isn't a, no, a su- isn't really a suitable backup. Uh, but I can't. I don't think I can. I really apportion too much blame at the time because having such a good first choice keeper, you know, there were priorities elsewhere in the squad. Saying that now that Joe Lewis is out and he's missing games and he has missed, you know, missed a few games, we have a problem. Um, we have a big problem, particularly with um, so young Tom Ritchie being injured as well. I was I didn't see any details on what the injury was, but they said it was serious, uh, which is not good. And obviously. We wish him all the best. He hopefully he recovers and he can come back and and hopefully in the future we'll play a part for Aberdeen. I would suggest that you no know, a preparation for the game announcing Craig Sampson coming in as your coach and you know part time backup keeper um, is not the preparation you probably need. But none of the but none of these are excuses. The simple fact is today that today and in the the last previous games, Gary Woods isn't good enough. Far from alone, to the centre of that defence bullied just bullied by one of the more limited players in the SPFL. You know, his record against teams other than Aberdeen really just underlines that. Do we want to just change his name to Curtis Main and then we can go and sign him? (laughs) I mean, really, I mean, he's done... I know, I'm sure there's a Motherwell fan going to hear this or it's going to get clipped and they're going to go, well, actually, he's done this. But the truth is, pretty much against almost everybody else, he's been absolutely shite. But... You put him on a pitch against the teams in a red shirt. Sounds like a fucking Henrik Larson or something. But but he doesn't because it, his finishes were straightforward. The chances he were getting were as a result of really basic mistakes. I mean, he could if he were Henrik Larson, he would have scored six today. Oh uh, well, yeah, <laughs> there were four chances in that second half which fell to him. They probably all should have been finished. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think any of them are a stunning save from Gary Woods or some great last-ditch defending to get us, get us out of trouble. Um, yeah. I mean, sure, he, he ruffles people up and is able to to make a lot of that headway himself. But in terms of finishing, no, no, not at all. But the ability of our defence to be unsettled by players that they should be dealing with. I mean, if Declan Gallagher gets gets done by one of Celtic's new signings but from from the J-League or, or gets done by somebody like Morelos, fine. Declan Gallagher shouldn't be getting done by a guy that came in from, Christ, what was it, Rotherham Reserves or something like that that Van Veen was bought from? It's shambolic. It, and it's been shambolic all season. You see, I have no problem with us going down the route of a young, untried manager. No problem at all. Uh, the theory, the thinking behind trying to unearth gold in in a young manager who, who may or may not have it is fine. But I need someone that's going to learn. You know, I need someone that's actually going to learn from the mistakes that have been made throughout the season and take action to put it right. I'm really not seeing that from Stephen Glass. I, I see him completely wedded to one tactical shape apart from when it becomes an absolute necessity to change things up because the form has been so dire and I don't see any evidence that he's capable of fixing the massive defensive flaws that we have which mean that we really have to score at least two in any given game to have a chance of a result. He wouldn't back us to keep a clean sheet at all I mean I fully agree with what you said there. In this, that second half, you know, the, it it cut to it cut to his face a couple of times. The cameras cut to him, and I'll be honest, I thought he looked lost. I don't think we offered an, anywhere near enough for a team that's looking to try and get into the next round of the cup. For an Aberdeen team to be like that in that second half, 
was pathetic. I really thought it was, and he looked like he he looked like he didn't have ideas. And I understand that you know he had to make a change with McCrory coming off after in the first half after forty five minutes. Tried with Hayes coming off at half time because he was on a yellow. I get that. In the second half, we were nowhere near good enough. Um, the changes he did make, you know, and this is no slight on young Connor Barron because he is completely blameless especially as he only had 10 minutes today and he's a young player with a heap of potential but the changes those type of changes were there were nothing changes no Connor Barron's definitely not to blame but I mean to really Barron and his 10 minutes on the pitch probably did as much as Bazawi had done for the previous 85 um yeah I, I, I really Agreed, yeah. I really fear that Bazawi is of a level where Connor Barron is, which is fine. They both might turn out to be very good players, but we needed somebody brought in that was going to impact the team straight away. And I'm not convinced that Bazawi is going to be somebody that can do that immediately. I sincerely hope I'm proved wrong, and I sincerely hope, you know, I'm proved wrong on the whole Stephen Glass thing. I'm quite happy to eat humble pie if he if he turns it around and, and looks magnificent. But but right now, I'm not seeing it. Before we move on to more of a discussion about. Stephen Glass, it ultimately doesn't really matter in the context of today. There are wider things to, to, to worry about. But, you know, if you're one of the people that's decided that Lewis Ferguson is somehow the, the villain of the piece today because he's um, reacted to some of the abuse the side was getting uh, when they walked off the pitch, it all it does is really give me an opportunity to trot out one of my favourite Barry Glendinning lines when he calls supporters like this as the... Uh, all too common, delicate football-going flowers who are only too happy to dish out relentless, relentless abuse, but swoon like Victorian ladies when any comes back their <laughs> way. And I think that kind of sums it up. Of course, Lewis Ferguson should have done, should have put his head down and just walked up into the dressing room. He shouldn't have reacted like that. But fucking hell, people losing their minds over that. Come no. on, come on. Richard, look, Richard. Already this season, I've no, I've, I've said several times on this, particularly the earlier games in Europe, where there was pe- there have been people on social media, particularly moaning that you know Lewis Ferguson didn't stay long enough and clap. You know, I understand. Look, he asked for the transfer request. His head's been turned. I get it. I, f- I totally get it. But the simple fact is that if I was walking out of my work and somebody called me a cunt, they're getting some back. And the guy's entitled to say something back. It's simple as that. So to, to the wider situation, <laughs> Dave Cormack's in the country. He was uh, at the game today, so he can't uh, be under any illusions as to how bad it is and, and what the yep. feelings of the Aberdeen support are. But I don't anticipate any changes, frankly. In this instance, his determination to show that the appointment was a masterstroke as opposed to a lazy pick based on his uh, having far too much belief in Atlanta's recruitment choices will override whatever his usual populist uh, tendencies. What do you reckon? I, I don't expect any changes to be made either. Um, not at all. I don't blame Stephen Glass at all for this. You know, I mean, he was, he was given the job. We were told he was the outstanding candidate. This lies firmly at the feet of Dave Cormack. He was the so-called outstanding candidate. Dave Cormack is going to carry the can for this. You know, we've had the two embarrassing cup exits. The season's going to pan out. How the season will pan out? Dave Cormack is the one that has sold us this. He's the one that has decided that he's going to, as you say, you no, know, put faith in the the Atlanta 
pyramid, whatever, triangle, whatever you want to call it, you know, Ponzi scheme. I don't know. I think that there won't be there won't be any changes. I don't think there'll be any changes made. I think he's going to want going to want to see this out. What do you think Dave's media strategy will be this week? Do you think we'll get a, an in-depth Red TV piece or maybe the joys of another BBC Sports Sound interview? Um, I, I've got a feeling he might he might go on one of the, the, the podcasts that are desperate to have him on. Um, I don't think I know. I don't think we will at all. I mean, we'll see him on. He's going to. He'll do the media that he's going to have. Going to give him a wee bit of a cosy kind of a cosy a cosy ride. He's only here for he's only here for his photo opportunities. Obviously, no, he's he's, he's big pals with Alan Burroughs, so he would have loved the corporate with corporate today at Motherwell. Next week, obviously, he gets his photo with Sir Alex. You know, that's another another one he can pop on the fireplace. Uh, but I don't see him. I don't see him doing any kind of challenging media. I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll touch Sports Sound. Yeah, Sports Sound was it last time? Yeah, I don't think he'll touch touch Sports Sound with a barge pole. I think he knows better, and you know perhaps. You know, perhaps they might have him on, you know, a pre-prepared interview on Red TV, but it'll be nothing. It'll be nothing with any kind of juice or sizzle to it. It'll be, you know, a we're so happy about the statue kind of stuff. You know, looking forward to a big crowd on Saturday for Dundee United. But no, I mean, you saw his tweets the other day where he spoke about, you know, not wanting to overshadow things. I think, you know, not wanting his words to be taken out of context. I think he's maybe, you no, know, and you know, I'm, I'm willing to be proved massively wrong here. But I think maybe he's learnt his lesson. God forbid try and just let the manager get on with his job and let so let the football do the talking problem is what the football's saying right now isn't isn't impressing anybody i mean in some ways Stephen glass is a little bit unlucky isn't he because he's being compared to Dan mcinnes whose results were generally pretty good and of course the tail end of Dan yeah. mcinnes's era was being compared to the early part of Dermot in the CZ era. So, uh, but the likes of Brown and Patterson, for example, produced far, far worse set of results without ever seeing the clamour from the support for a change. So, you know, in that way, he's unlucky. Although it should be said that most of these managers didn't inherit a side that was sitting a third off, a point off third in the league, um, which rather defeats that argument. From the outset with with Stephen, and it's been something we've alluded to a lot. There's there's been a naivety, a belief that you can simply instill a passion, a, a passing mantra, without doing the basics that you need to do in this league. In fact, is it closer to an arrogance? Maybe. I mean, it's like you know when you get EPL loanies who come up here with the wrong attitude, an impression about the league. You know, there's not a great deal of flair or creativity in most of the sides, but they're very tactically astute. And they contain a lot of very well-drilled, very athletic players. It's not a walk in the park this league. No, it's, it certainly isn't. And you know, how how many you no know, how many you no know, guys have came have came up from the English Premier English Premier League, even the English Championship, and thought that this these got they were going to coast it, and this is going to be as you say a walk in the park for them, and they've came unstuck. So we know that there, there's this kind of arrogance up here of you know, we've heard you know you hear you hear from all these idiots. About farmers' league and all this kind of stuff. It is a very no. It is a tough. It is a tough league, and you can't just you you can't just come up here and you know, think you're going to be able to play. You no, know, well, the football hasn't been beautiful. That's the problem. But come up with perhaps you know, a naive a naive game plan. I think you know. I mean, look, it's not just Aberdeen. I think Sean Maloney's finding that at Hibs as well. It's all very well working at working at Belgium with Kevin De Bruyne and all these talented guys, but. When you go to Hibs and you've got Ryan Porteous instead, it's a bit different. When you're coming in with a guy who was a very popular manager, which even though it was it was horrible towards the end, 
Derek McInnes still had a had a huge amount of popularity among the support, um, and that's difficult. Whereas someone like Patterson, someone like you know McGee, even even you know, um, like Alex Miller came in. You know, the, it was they weren't coming in replacing hugely popular um, popular guys who you know all the support were fully behind. So I think that's I think that's a, a bit of trouble for him as well. That for for, for a huge section, he was doomed to fail. What is doomed to fail from the very beginning? Yeah, but I don't think that's because of who he was replacing. It's because of their doubts over the recruitment process. Surely. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, now, that's fair none enough. None of I mean, this should be, none of this should be taken as you know anything other than the fact that we should absolutely aspire to a side that plays attractive attacking football. I don't think that's unachievable at all in our budget. I do think we reached that point under the previous manager, but we the point being that we had to build to that. You know, initially, what did Derek McInnes do when he came in? He made us hard to beat. He made us sound defensively. He got us working on the counter-attack. Then teams recognised that and changed up, and we went through a stage where we struggled to break that down. He tried to address that. That's the point. I don't think you can just walk in into this league and get to this attractive attacking game without getting the building blocks in place. And I don't see any evidence that we're putting those in place as the defensive record shows. Anyway, (laughs) that's a rather bleak assessment. I personally think that it's done. I do not see that he can build a consistent, successful Aberdeen team. I am loath to say that because it seems quite quick because we're only in February of his first full season, but it's been 40 games and he's lost half of them. We keep losing. We keep going on these losing runs. We keep giving away daft goals. It's five clean sheets from 40. I'm just not seeing it, Martin. I, I don't want it to fail. Because it's an expensive business continually changing manager. And as he came out tonight and said in his post-match comments, stability is what football clubs thrive on. So yeah. I don't want it to fail. And I would be, love nothing more than for this time next year for me to be eating those words. Because we're a successful, good-looking football team under Stephen Glass. But I'm, I'm just not seeing it. And I think the longer it goes on, the more toxic the environment gets and the atmosphere gets and the, the fewer people are going to bother going along to Pitaudry. We've already seen um, some people can't do things, can't do anything without posting it on social media, declaring to the world that they're getting rid of their DNA uh, subscriptions and you can only see that that increasing if uh, yeah. the season continues to go south. It just is all setting up to be a very, very unpleasant period. It does. I mean, look, this, the slide needs to be arrested straight away. The pro- the problem we have is don't, we don't know how long Joe Lewis is going to be missing. McCrory went off injured. Calvin Ramsey came on for him, but Calvin Ramsey struggled really lately. Things are, things are aren't exactly going well at the moment for us. No, we have we have problems. We can't seem to keep a clean sheet to save our lives, and it it doesn't look good at the moment. And you you have to hope that he is able to turn it round. I, I can't see how it's going to how it's going to be able to change. Games like today, Motherwell, the teams in and in and around us that we should we need to take point we should be taking points off. Tuesday is a massive game. I suppose it's kind of lucky that this game comes around so soon, that because today, particularly the reaction today after and again it's the Scottish Cup, you know, such a big travel and support away down there. 
Uh, and that second half performance was an insult. See, I'd love to be wrong as well, um, but I think it'll be very difficult for him to turn this around. Does this does this start, does this team look like a team that is able to just start scrapping and fighting for points rather than trying to trying to play you know that kind of passing football that you know we've been told is is the way forward? I don't think they are. Um, I don't think they have that in them either. Yeah, I mean, if we could play the Rangers or Hearts every week, we'd we'd be laughing. But yeah. we don't. We play we play teams that are going to set up to stop us playing. It does even fourth. Like rescue him in your eyes? I, I, I mean, it's still possible, certainly mathematically at least. Um, but it, it doesn't it just reinforce that we are just of that of the pack now, and with the multiples of their budget that we're spending, I'm quite happy to pull that card out when we play Salkin Rangers. So I think it's it's only fair to pull the card out when we when we're back and amongst the pack of teams who are spending a fraction of our budget. Is it enough? I think in the chairman's eyes, it'll be, it would be enough. Um, you know, fourth obviously brings brings European football and all the the financial package and benefits that come with that. But um, in a lot of the fans' eyes, you know, we should be aiming we should be aiming higher. Even though, as has been, you know, as has been mentioned, it is going to be a, t- a a season of transition. I think it would basically be putting a putting a stick and plaster over it because there are still there's still there's still massive problems. Um, you know, the squad is the squad isn't good good enough. There's massive gaps there. They didn't get over the line on transfer deadline day, where you know we clearly needed, we clearly need at least one more attacking player, stroke striker. There's a there's a lot to be there's a lot to be done there and a lot to be discussed. And I just think that how how long are we going to see? You know, I think you know Johnny Hayes, Lewis Ferguson, you know the better players um, probably aren't going to be here too much longer. Um, and given how the the recruitment has gone, bar Christian Ramirez. It's really worrying. Yep. Sorry, this time around, I can't even give you a kernel of hope and optimism. I'll be there on Tuesday. I've got nothing better to do in my life, quite clearly. I don't know if you'll be there on Tuesday, uh, dear listener, but um, yeah, we'll be there on Tuesday. Probably mean about 5,000 other people, but um, <laughs> yeah, that was sore today. That was a sore one today, and uh, not for the first time this season, the Sabadine team have proved that they, they weren't up to the challenge in front of them. Deeply disappointing afternoon, uh, but thank you for listening, and until next time we speak, come on you Reds.